Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our morning service. Uh, for our responsive reading, please uh, turn in your hymn books uh, to the reading number uh, 11, which is found on page number 746, which is after most of the hymns. Page number 746. And you'll see the title there, Divine Love. I will be reading uh, the first part. You will be reading uh, the bold part with Braden as he leads you. But I'll be reading the lighter gray. So, trust you're all there. Page 746 in the hymn book at the bottom of the page. You'll see that. And it's reading, responsive reading number 11. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the command, condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life, and he that hath believed not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John 21 verse 7 says this, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The man and his wife used to play a game uh, with their children called I Spy. If a family member saw what appeared to to be God at work in their surroundings, he or she would call out, I spy. And it might be a beautiful sunset or some special blessing in their lives. And these experiences reminded them of God's, God's presence in the world and in their lives as well. That game reminds us of Jesus' disciples and their futile fishing endeavor recorded in what I read in John chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. And uh, 
Early in the morning they saw through the mist a man standing on shore, but they did not know who it was. They didn't know it was Jesus. The voice, friends, haven't, haven't you any fish? He asked them. No, they replied. Throw the net on the other side of the boat, he said, and you will find some. And the disciples obeyed and their net was filled, you remember, with so many fish they couldn't draw it in. It is the Lord, exclaimed John. See, it was an I spy moment. And it was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was the first to recognize him. You and I need to ask God to give us eyes, eyes to see Jesus. Whether in the extraordinary events in our lives or the everyday affairs of our lives. If we pay attention, we will see his hand at work where others see nothing. Try to play I spy today. And let the Lord's presence reassure you of his love and care. Because remember, eyes of faith can see God at work. I'd like you to turn to your Bibles now for the scripture reading. And turn, please, to Romans chapter 8. I read this week of comment that... Uh, Charles Spurgeon was said to have commented on this chapter 8 as the cream of the cream. My French says, la crème de la crème, right? <laughs> Yours too, perhaps. I'm going to be reading uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and then I'll go to 31 to 39. So, John chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh." that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now to verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that, con that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep 
for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's bow to pray together. Heavenly Father, again we come into your presence acknowledging your greatness. O Lord, indeed how great thou art. We come before you, Lord, our creator, our God, the one who provides for us, meets our every need. And we thank you and praise you, O Lord, for that. And Lord, as we bow in your presence, we realize the many needs just bowed before you now. You know the secrets of the heart. You know what we need. O Lord, give strength. Give healing, Lord, in accordance to your will and good pleasure. Give, Lord, encouragement and direction, for we need thee every hour, moment by moment. And Lord, we thank you for answered prayer. O oh Lord, you are good. You are caring. O oh Lord, we pray that as we gather together, Lord, you are with us. Your word tells us that you are in our midst. Oh, Lord, may you find our worship pleasing in your sight. May we leave all the cares of the world aside and concentrate on the word of God. Bless now, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. The last time I was speaking, I was telling you about my, uh, I guess I still had another four weeks of my radiation, but I finished last Tuesday and I rang the bell. So that was great news. And uh, we were going to go for a little celebration, but we had to go right away to the LaSalle residence, I guess it was. So, well, we stopped for a, an ice cap. So, but I'm told that maybe Tuesday night we might be able to go somewhere. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence, seeking your guidance this morning again. As we open the word of God, Lord, open our hearts, we pray. Give wisdom, give direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've no doubt heard about God's love demonstrated throughout the scriptures, and that is very true. This morning I'd like us to consider the love of Jesus, God's Son. And obviously, the evidence of that special love of the Lord Jesus Christ is in his precious blood that he so freely shed for us. He loved us so much, the word tells us, that he died for us to pay the price for our sins. When did the Lord Jesus Christ love begin to work for us, we might ask? 
in eternity past. In eternity past, before creation, as we read the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we read, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. You can read similar words in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, and 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It's somewhat surprising as we read the New Testament accounts of the days surrounding our Lord Jesus Christ's death, how many times Jesus' love is mentioned. So today, I would like to examine the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in answer to four questions. A, whom did Jesus love? B, what did Jesus do because he loved? C, what warning is there for those whom Jesus loves? And D, what confidence can those whom Jesus loves have according to the Apostle Paul? So we begin then with A, whom did Jesus love? And I have to say that uh, we'll be spending most of our time with this first question, and it'll be mostly in the book of John. So keep your fingers in the book of John. Actually, we're we're staying in the New Testament for other references as well. But whom did Jesus love? Whom does the word of God plainly say that Jesus loved? First then, The Apostle John seems to be particularly aware of Jesus' love. How keenly John felt that love directed towards him. In describing himself, you'll remember John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. In the upper room at the Last Supper, John says in chapter 13, verse 23, We read, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. The Lord Jesus had just said in verses, in rather verse 21 of chapter 13, one of you shall betray me. When Peter motioned to John to ask who it was, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, quietly asked, Lord, who is it? John felt the love of Jesus so deeply that he could ask that question expecting to receive an answer. We move on in John's Gospel. We come to that scene on Golgotha's Hill in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, where standing by the cross of Jesus were Mary, his mother, her sister, the wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says, But on this occasion, the Lord Jesus entrusted the care of his mother into the hands of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Then, on to Easter morning in John 20. Mary Magdalene saw the stone rolled away from the tomb. In verse 2, 
She ran to tell Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Both men ran to the sepulcher. John stopped and Peter went in first. In verse 8 of John 20, John entered the tomb, saw and believed. Until that moment, John writes in verse 9, that he had not comprehended that Jesus must die. As we continue in John's experience in chapter 21, we see seven of the disciples fishing on the Sea of Tiberias or Lake Galilee all night, and they caught nothing. The Lord Jesus appears on the shore in chapter 21, verse 4. We read, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. And look at verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him and did cast himself into the sea. It was at that point, the disciple whom Jesus loved spoke up and said, It is the Lord. This man who felt so loved was the first to recognize the Savior. Remember that I spy moment in the story we read? One more time, John reminds us of how loved he felt. Look at the end of John chapter 21. After they ate their breakfast and the Lord Jesus spoke to Peter, restoring him to a position of being shepherd, a shepherd to feed his sheep, the Lord told Peter about how he would die as an old man. Peter turned and noticed in verses 20 and 21 that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was there. We read, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, and said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What shall this man do? Inquisitive, concerned Peter, wondered what would happen to John. It's almost as if John wanted the end of his book to end with a reminder of how he was loved. And he chose this incident to let us know. So far, we've seen that John was sure that Jesus loved him. But who else did Jesus love? Second, let's go back to the upper room, the Last Supper, John 13, verse 1. There we read, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. John knew that he was loved by Jesus. 
But he was well aware that he wasn't the only one loved by the Lord Jesus. He loved his own, which were in the world, we are told. Even though the Lord Jesus was heading toward his death, he loved his own disciples unto the end. In that same chapter, after Judas Iscariot left the room, we read in John chapter 13 again, verses 34 and 35. Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give unto you, he says, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. John records that Jesus wanted his disciples to love as he had loved them. They were all loved. All of his disciples experience Jesus' love. As we consider Jesus' words in the next chapter, John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus is still speaking to his disciples those who keep his commandments are those who really love him. These are the same ones whom God the Father and God the Son love. In John 15, verses 9 to 12, we read again the words of Jesus. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The Lord continues on the same theme, even, even though he's on the way to the cross. Three times in this chapter, in these two chapters, he tells them that he loves them. Notice in verse 9 of that same chapter, 15. The degree of Jesus' love is compared to the love of God the Father and God the Son. God is love and loves with a perfect love. Jesus promised his disciples that if they obey his commandments, they will abide in his love. What an incentive. What an incentive to be obedient, to keep his commandments and love one another as we see in verse 12, Jesus saying, as I have loved you. In a few hours, these men will witness how much Jesus loves them. He will suffer the agonies of death on the cross. There's no doubt about how much the Lord Jesus loved his obedient followers. First, we've seen how, how much John felt that he was loved, but John doesn't stop there. He points out how much Jesus loved all of his disciples. 
Third point then, in whom did Jesus love? Once again, this John who points out to us that there was one particular family whom Jesus especially loved. John 11, verse 5, reads, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Back in verse 3, we read the, the message that the two sisters had sent to Jesus. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Could there be three more different personalities? But Jesus loved them all. He loved Martha, the busy, efficient, homemaker ladies to whose house Jesus and his disciples visited one day in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, where we read these words. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him unto her house. And she had a sister called Martha, rather, Mary, sorry. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha received him into her house. We read that, or rather you can read that in Luke 10, verse 38. Martha wanted everything to be perfect for her guests. She was a worker and she set about with much preparation to serve the Lord and the disciples that were there. But Jesus also loved Mary, the one who sat at Jesus' feet in Luke 10, verse 39, and listened to his word. When Martha complained that she was overwhelmed with the preparation and wanted Jesus to, to send Mary to help, Jesus lovingly explained that Mary had chosen the best thing. The Lord had to reprimand Martha, but he still loved her, and he still appreciated what she was doing. Turning back to the book of John, in John chapter 11, verse 2, and John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, we have reference made to Mary again. Her action that day was criticized by the disciples, but it was an act of worship when she poured expensive ointment on Jesus' head and his feet. The Lord Jesus recognized Mary's intent. And I want to draw your attention now to Matthew's report of this event in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 12 we read the words of Jesus again. He says, For in that she has poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. We read also in Mark, chapter 14, verse 8, the Lord saying, She has done what she could 
She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. It's important for us to note here that in some way, Mary understood that Jesus would die and be buried. None of the others showed such any of such understanding. She, Mary, anointed his body. To commemorate this, Jesus honored her by saying that wherever the gospel would be preached in the, in the whole world, this story would be told as a memorial of Mary. Yes, Jesus loved Martha and Mary. But what about Lazarus? In John 11, three times, Jesus' love for Lazarus is affirmed. In verses 3 and 36, the word meaning brotherly love is used. Verse 3, we read, Lord, behold, he whom you love as a brother is sick. And in verse 36, then the Jews said after they saw Jesus weep, behold, how he loved Lazarus, that is, as a brother. But go back to verse 5 of this same chapter 11. The verse which referred, we referred to it earlier, saying, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word for love here means God's unconditional love. God's sacrificial love. Jesus loved all three of them that way. Unconditional love. Sacrificial love. Now look at verse 6 of John 11. We read, When he, Jesus, had heard therefore that he was sick, that is, Lazarus was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Jesus stayed put. He stayed there. He didn't go. Can we reconcile these two thoughts? Jesus loved all three of them, but he delayed. His perfect love, his unconditional, sacrificial love, responded to the message about Lazarus' sickness by not coming. He allowed his friend to die. Why? The text provides at least two reasons. In verse 4, it was for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. That's reason number one. For reason number two, look at verse 15 of John 11. There we read, Jesus saying, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. It was to strengthen the faith of his disciples. It was to help them believe that they might be edified, the word says. I wonder how often we, are impatient with what appears to be God's delays in our lives? 
Do we question God's interest, his, his wisdom or his power when he doesn't act as we expect him to act? We may even question God's love for us. Perhaps Mary and Martha wondered too. But we should not despair. Remember, his love is perfect. Delays in our lives may be for the same reasons. For God's glory or to grow our faith, to increase our faith. Yes, Jesus loved the Apostle John. He loved all his disciples. He loved his obedient followers. And he loved his dear friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Number four. The next instance of Jesus' love involves a rich young ruler who came to Christ with a question. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this incident. Each tells how the Lord Jesus responded. He said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Did this man recognize that Jesus is God? Jesus was giving him the opportunity. When Jesus reviewed the commandments, the young man felt that he had observed them from his youth. Mark adds a significant line at this point. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, saying, Then Jesus beholding him, loved him. The Lord Jesus loved him. But in his love, he showed the young man that he was breaking the commandments. He loved his riches more than he loved God. He was trusting his money. Yet, even as this young man turned away, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved his followers. He loved those who keep his commandments. He loved those with different personalities like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He even loved this young ruler who went his own way. Number five, the Apostle Paul wrote an encouraging word to the Thessalonian church years later. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Here we read, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistles. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and go to hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. These believers in Thessalonica were beloved 
of the Lord. Different translations say similar things, loved by the Lord. In verse 13, the whole Godhead, Paul mentions in verses 13 and 16, was involved in their salvation, and Paul comforted them all, himself and all the believers, with this reminder, you are loved of the Lord. Number six, in whom did Jesus love? Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul recognized that the Lord Jesus Christ loved him too. He uses the phrase, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Christ's love leaves Paul no choice but to employ every possible means to persuade people. Look back in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, he says. Another translation reads, Knowing then what the fear of the Lord means, we endeavor to win men. Paul had just reminded his readers in verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we have done, whether good or evil. Paul balances the terror of the Lord in verse 11 with the love of Christ in verse 14. The love of Christ is such that it leaves us no choice. The love of Christ constraineth us, he says. Another translation gives a, a lovely expansion of this verse, and I read it. For the love which Christ has for me presses on me from all sides, holding, holding me to one end and prohibiting me from considering any other, wrapping itself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive. Paul and those who were working with him were motivated to serve the Lord and to serve his people by remembering Christ's compelling love. That same great love of Christ for us also should be our motivation for serving him. Now, the second question, B. What did Jesus do because he loved us? We've answered the question, whom did Jesus love? We've seen the scope of that love. John and all of his disciples, all the believers who obeyed his commands, his friends in Bethany, the believers in Thessalonica and the Apostle Paul, along with his helpers. Now we must ask, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do because he loved us? Number one, Galatians 2.20. The last part of that verse says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 5 says that Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What did 
the Lord Jesus Christ do because he loved us? He gave himself for us. He offered himself as a sacrifice. He loved us to that extent. A Swiss-German theologian delivered one of the closing lectures of his life at a university, the University of Chicago Divinity School. At the end of the lecture, the president of the seminary told the audience that the speaker was not well enough to receive questions. He was very tired and thought that he uh, would like to open for questions. He probably could not handle the stream. Then he said, therefore, I'll ask just one question on behalf of us all. And he turned to the doctor and asked, of all the theological insights you have ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of them all? This was a remarkable question. To ask a man who had written tens of thousands of pages of some of the most sophisticated theology ever put on paper. Seminary students sat there ready with their pads and pencils. They wanted to jot down the greatest insight of the greatest theologian of their time. The old man closed his eyes and thought for a while. Then he smiled, opened his eyes, and sent, said to the young seminarians, the greatest theological insight that I have ever had is this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Number two, what else did Jesus do because he loved us? Let's look at Revelation. Chapter 1, last part of verse 5 and verse 6 for an answer. Revelation 1, chapter 5, rather 1, verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Number one, he loved us. Number two, he loosed us. He washed us from our sins, that is. And number three, he enriched us. In verse six, he made us kings and priests unto God. What a position he provided for his people. What did Jesus do because he loved us? He washed us from our sins and he made us kings and priests. Surely, we can agree with Paul's words in Ephesians 3, verse 19, that the love of Christ passes knowledge. The fact that he loves us is amazing, but the way he shows his love is beyond our understanding. What did he do because he loves us? He gave himself an offering, as an offering. He washed us from our sins and he made us kings and priests unto God. We look now at another question, C. We've looked at the questions, whom does Christ love and what does Christ do for those he loves? 
that there is another question. What warning is there for those whom Jesus loves? We can't begin to really understand such love. However, it doesn't mean that because we are loved, we can live outside of his will. Because in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus warns us that as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Because Jesus loves us, he faithfully rebukes us and chastens us when necessary. Our part as responsible children is to repent and obey him. We have one more question about Jesus' love. Our D question. What confidence can those whom Jesus love have according to the Apostle Paul? Let's look at those victorious verses in the book of Romans chapter 8 concerning how safe we are as recipients of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's confidence ought to be our confidence, ought to be our assurance. Romans 8, verse 38 and verse 39, we read, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very clearly, Paul reminds us that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. However, who can have this wonderful confidence? What does it say? In Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now con no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. That's the answer. If we are to be the objects of the love of the Lord Jesus, we must be in Christ Jesus. Notice how the chapter starts and how the chapter ends. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation in verse 1. And in verse 39, they have no separation from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those who are in Christ start with no condemnation, and end with no separation. Don't be like the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus' offer of salvation, even though Mark 10, verse 21 tells us that Jesus loved him. And he walked away. I urge each one of you to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, if you haven't done so, and become part of his family. John chapter 1 verse 12 reminds us, speaking of Jesus, 
As many as received him, to them gave he the power or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Then we can heartily sing, using the words of so many hymn writers, loved with everlasting love, I am his and he is mine. Or another, O love that will not let me go, I rest my soul in thee. Or even another amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Jesus loves us. Can we fully comprehend this truth? The following story has always touched my heart. And I think it illustrates to us in our human limited understanding Jesus' love for us. A rich man who had no children proposed to his poor relatives who had seven to take one of them and promised if the parents would consent that he would give them property enough to make themselves and their other six children comfortable for life. We listen in on the wife and her husband John conversation. Which shall it be? Which shall it be? I looked at John, John looked at me, and when I found that I must speak, my voice seemed strangely low and weak. Tell me again what Robert said. And then I, listening, bent my head. This is his letter. I will give a house and land while you shall live, if in return from out your seven, one child to me for I is given. I looked at John's old garments worn. I thought of all that he had borne of poverty and work and care, which I, though willing, could not share. I thought of seven mouths to feed, of seven little children's needs, and then of this. Come, John, said I, we'll choose among them as they lie asleep. So, walking hand in hand, dear John and I surveyed our band. First, to the cradle lightly stepped, where Lillian, the baby, slept. Softly, the father stopped to lay his roughed hand down in a loving way, when dream or whisper made her stir, and huskily he said, Not her. We stooped beside the next bed, and one long ray of lamplight shed across the boyish faces there. In sleep, so beautiful and fair. I saw on James' rough red cheek a tear undried. Ere John could speak, he's but a baby too, said I, and kissed him as we hurried by. Pale, patient Robbie's angel face, still in his sleep bore suffering's trace. No, not for a thousand crowns, not him, he whispered while our eyes were dim. And they went on. Poor Jack. Bad Jack. Our wayward son. Turbulent, restless, idle one. Could he be spared? Nay, 
He who gave bade us befriend him to the grave. Only a mother's heart could be a patient enough for such as he. And so, said John, I would not dare to take him from her bedside prayer. Then stole we softly up above and knelt by Mary, child of love. Perhaps for her, twould be better, I said to John. Quite silently, he lifted up a curl that lay across her cheek in a willful way and shook his head. Nay, love, not thee. Then while my heart beat audibly, only one more, our eldest lad, trusty, truthful, good and glad, so like his father. No, John, no, I cannot, will not let him go. And so we wrote in a courteous way. We could not give one child away. And afterward, toil lighter seemed. Thinking of that of which we dreamed, happy in truth that not one face was missed from its accustomed place. Thankful to work for all the seven, trusting the rest to one in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word, the Bible. You've spoken us to us today as we considered how the Lord Jesus loved individuals, his disciples, his friends, and even those who turned away from him. But even in a greater measure, we thank you for the love that you have shown towards us. That if we believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary and repent of our sins, asking for forgiveness, you will forgive us. We will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. Accept of our thanksgiving, O Lord, for your amazing love. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.